0: This is the Insurance Law Podcast, brought to you by Best Recommended Insurance Attorneys.
1: Welcome to the Insurance Law Podcast, the broadcast about timely and important legal issues affecting the insurance industry. I'm John Zuba, Managing Editor of Best Recommended Insurance Attorneys. We're pleased to have with us today attorneys Drew Broadus and Nathan Edmonds from the Seacrest Laurel Law Firm with offices in Troy, Lansing, and Grand Rapids, Michigan. Nathan Edmonds is a senior partner and has been in practice for over 20 years, specializing in defense litigation. He's experienced in defending all aspects of motor vehicle litigation, including first-party, third-party, uninsured, and underinsured motorist litigation. He also works closely with fraud investigators to obtain the best possible results for his clients. Additionally, he has authored several articles for the firm's automobile negligence publication, He most recently authored a no-fault Newsline article that served as an informative update regarding the recent Michigan House and Senate approval of bills imposing no-fault and liability insurance regulations on ride-sharing services. Drew Broadus is a partner with the firm and has obtained excellent results in a wide range of practice areas. He serves as chair of the firm's appellate and insurance coverage practice groups. He also is renowned for victories achieved in his practice of appellate law. He also has done recent work on the topic of transportation network companies and autonomous vehicles, which is the focus of today's discussion. First off, we're very pleased to have you both with us today.
0: Thank you, John. Thank you.
1: Nathan, today we'll start our questions off with you. Uh, Can you tell us briefly about the transportation litigation recently passed, and does this solve all of the problems for insurers?
0: Well, initially it would... Appear on first blush that it does. Um, however, the law has not been interpreted yet, so I would tell you yes, it does, as it's kind of leveled the playing field between the transportation network companies uh, to equal them with taxis. Uh, that law was passed on December twenty-first, two thousand sixteen, uh, requiring the transportation network companies uh, to carry one million dollars in third-party liability coverage, as well as having first-party no-fault coverage. Um, When they're not on delivering passengers, they're required to have $50,000, $100,000 for third-party coverage, along with um, first-party no-fault coverages, and there are also some other um, interesting aspects uh, that appear to address uh, the problems for insurers.
1: Now, Nathan, if an insurer does not disclose the use of a vehicle for transporting passengers for hire, what can be done?
0: Well, the current legislation that passed, it's going to fall under the Michigan No-Fault Act, uh, Section 500.3017. When that happens, uh, someone doesn't have it, they have the option now to exclude all coverages. That is, that the transportation um, company, uh, if they do not have those types of coverages, and the insurance company has a clause in their policy, they are able to exclude all coverages, including first-party and third-party coverages. However, the insurer must have the clause in their insurance policy then to be able to exclude that coverage. So carriers will need to update their policies and have them approved uh, to uh, include that exclusionary language. Um, If you don't have that exclusionary language, there's still the fallback position of having the policies rescinded, um, which is currently an option under Michigan law um, that uh, is subject to potential change as that case is up in front of the Michigan Supreme Court. But for the time being, uh, if you don't have the clause, the next option is to rescind.
1: And what are some suggestions to investigate a claim for an insurer dealing with a vehicle for hire being involved in a claim?
0: These are, they can kind of be tricky. The first um, aspect that I would tell an insurer is to um, ask for the records of the transportation network company, uh, whether it be Uber, Lyft, get everything that you can from them. If they're not willing to provide it, then obviously you go to your insured, ask for their records, um, ask for the tax returns of your um, insured-slash-driver, see if they have been driving for them. Uh, Look down into their Facebook and other social media aspects to see if they are advertising uh, for their drive, uh, for their use of their vehicle as a transportation network vehicle. I would also tell the insurers then to obtain statements of um, anyone uh, involved in the accident, as well as people who come to the scene after, whether they're witnesses, police, fire, rescue. um, Take as many statements as possible because they will say, hey, this person... Told you that uh, they were driving. Uh, the driver said, uh, or a passenger said, you know, the driver ran the light. So when you have those type of statements, those can always help later on. Um, if you can't get a recorded statement and no one wants to speak with you, then possibly consider using your examination under oath clause in your insurance policies um, to pin down your testimony so that um, someone will not be able to change uh, their testimony after they get representation. Consider also looking at video surveillance of local uh, um, businesses to see if they have any uh, footage of the accident because if you see someone getting out of the back of the car, clearly that will help you in your defense that it was being used as a transportation network company. Um, Those would be my initial thoughts for you to help you pin down those claims and uh, avoid the potential liabilities and pitfalls that happen as uh, someone becomes repped later on. So uh, the earlier action is always the best course of
1: action. Thank you, Nathan. And Drew, turning some questions over to you now, what happens if a passenger is hurt and an Uber or Lyft driver failed to buy the commercial insurance required by the new act?
2: Well, assuming we're dealing with a PIP claim or first-party claim under our No-Fault Act, uh, we would also assume that in most cases uh, the individual is going to have their own insurance and the driver... Um, likely has his own insurance as well under a non-commercial policy in this scenario. Um, What often happens is this leads into a primary function inquiry where the the challenge becomes whether MCF 500.3114 subpart 2 or 3114 subpart 1 controls, and basically that's the insurer of the motor vehicle versus the insurer of the injured person. And what this basically calls for is an inquiry as to whether the vehicle was being used basically as a taxi or not. So we get into questions about how much was this individual uh, driving for Uber or Lyft? Were they using the vehicle for other things? Um, That, again, assumes the situation where they they both have their own insurance and just not the commercial insurance. If, for example, the driver has no insurance, it would fall back to the individual uh, who is injured, uh, their own policy. If um, neither one has insurance, it could be what's called an assigned claims situation where the claim could fall over to our assigned claims system and it get back, basically get randomly get assigned a no-fault carrier since it is still a no-fault claim. The liability would, could also be an issue here. Um, again, that could fall back on the driver's insurer, and then you could be dealing with um, exclusions and rescission, as Nate alluded to earlier.
1: Drew, could a business exclusion be evoked in defense of a PIP claim if it's learned that an insured is driving for Uber or Lyft under a non-commercial policy?
2: Well, apart from the specific language that Nate mentioned earlier, it's unlikely because the general rule is that uh, exclusions really don't carry a lot of weight in the first-party context, in the the PIP context. Uh, There are mandatory coverages, uh, and they cannot be excluded by policy language. Uh, In certain situations, this could be helpful for a liability claim. Uh, In other words, the carrier could utilize this exclusion to deny providing a defense to its own insured but in the PIP situation, again, unless new legislation has been followed specifically, uh, it would probably not help.
1: Will the new TNC statute have an impact on claims that are currently pending?
2: Unlikely. Uh, the statute took effect on March twenty-first, 2017. The general rule in Michigan is that statutes only apply prospectively unless the legislature expressly or impliedly indicates an intent to give it retroactive effect and i've been through this new act i didn't see any indication by the legislature that it would apply retroactively so i think the default rule would control
1: how soon can we expect to see autonomous vehicles on the road in michigan
2: uh... sooner than you might think uh... we just had a new law enacted on the ninth of december of twenty sixteen which allows them to operate in extremely limited situations uh... on roadways for the first time it replaced an earlier law, MCL 257.663, which had limited autonomous vehicles to basically test sites, um, closed tracks for research and development. The focus of the new act that just passed in December is still on research and development, so you're not going to be being picked up by an autonomous taxi anytime soon, but you may see these vehicles uh, on the roadway, again, very limited use, uh, subject to specific permits, still for R&D, um, but it's a big step, and that we could actually see them, you know, some, uh, on the roadway next to you, where you know previously it was illegal under the old act. Uh, and there will be something called automated platoons, um, which are talked about in the new act. Those are specifically allowed now. Basically, a group of autonomous vehicles. Again, all this needs to be subject to a permit in advance. Uh, the companies can't just send them out there going around. So. interesting times with respect to the autonomous vehicles in Michigan.
1: And how does Michigan compare to other states? I know I've read things like California seems to be pretty far along. Is Michigan lagging behind some of the states?
2: Well, I think there might have been some perception that Michigan needed to catch up, and that was some of the impetus behind the new act. But really, I think some of this has not been reported accurately in terms of how often autonomous vehicles are actually being used. Um, For example, the state of California recently shut down Uh, an uber program Uh, but those vehicles turned out actually weren't truly autonomous when you look closer they needed uh, an engineer and a safety driver in the vehicle that could uh, take control whenever necessary in order to operate on the roads so again there was kind of some misconceptions around that also when we look closer at these stories it it turns out that they're often being used in an extremely limited geographical area and uh, subject to very specific similar to what our new act would allow for example in pittsburgh there was a pilot program that got a lot of attention but the more i read about that i learned it only had four vehicles in the entire city of pittsburgh and again there were uh, an uber driver and engineer sitting in the front of the car so again they're not quite as uh, ubiquitous as some of the media might imply at this point
1: now nathan which states are watching closely and any final comments for us today
0: well, the TNC Networks um, appear to now be in 43 states with regulations, and Michigan, obviously being a no-fault state, uh, appears that many states are going to watch how, how our wonderful laws interpret it. Uh, that is going to be the biggest um, development that has occurred, as we've had no-fault since 1973 here in Michigan. And. It always is subject to interpretation. That seems to be the funnest thing that happens in the field of law. Even though I can tell you what the legislation appears to say, it's always subject to a wonderful interpretation by whatever judge or the Court of Appeals or a Michigan Supreme Court, as it will uh, obviously work its way through. Um, The best aspect um, that I can tell you is, uh, for any individual or for the insurance company is that uh, for an insured, you need to be honest and be forthright, and if you do that, you have no problems. It's when you fall into the problems of uh, the non-disclosure that uh, the issues crop up. Uh, so if anyone has any questions regarding uh, what to do, whether their policy covers it, um, or how uh, to move forward, feel free to contact us. We'll, we'll be glad to talk to you and help you out.
1: Nathan and Drew, thanks so much for joining us today.
0: Thank you. Thanks again.
1: That was Attorneys Drew Broaddus and Nathan Edmonds from the Sequest Water Law Firm with offices in Troy, Lansing, and Grand Rapids, Michigan. And special thanks to today's producer, Frank Volwinkel. And thank you all for joining us for the Insurance Law Podcast. To subscribe to this audio program, go to iTunes or our webpage, www.ambest.com slash claimsresources. If you have any suggestions for a future topic regarding an insurance law case or issue, please email us at lawpodcast.ambest.com. I'm John Ziba, and now this message. Best Insurance
0: Professionals and Claims Resource is the top website for locating qualified professionals and need-to-know insurance information for the claims market. Brought to you by AMBest, the world leader in insurance industry information. Visit ambest.com slash claimsresource.